Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody's favorite cinema podcast, Looking California and Feeling Minnesota. My name is Michael McCaffrey. I'm the Looking California portion of the program. I am a writer, acting coach, model, model coach, dancer, dance coach, and just all around incredibly attractive young man. And I'm joined by somebody who's feeling very Minnesota right now. His name (laughs) is Barry Anderson. Barry, everybody knows who you are, but please just go through the motions of telling us a little bit about yourself. I'm the better half of this duo. I'm a director based in (laughs) Minneapolis. Maybe not better looking, but better, (laughs) better nonetheless. Uh, Yeah, currently, currently in a chilly, flurry Minneapolis, Minnesota. Well, let me just say that I, I don't think we would find a single person who would refute your claim that you are the better <laughs> half of this duo in every single way. Um, you're certainly the better person. Goodness knows that. Um, and you're 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 the better guy. You're just the better guy, Barry. Um, well, your check for $10,000 is in the mail, Mike, so uh, you've earned it today. <laughs> I am the meanest son of a bitch around, and everybody knows it. So what we do on this podcast, we talk about movies, and uh, or TV shows sometimes, but usually movies. And today, we're going to talk about a movie that you probably haven't heard of, even though you've probably heard of it. <laughs> so the movie we're going to do today is All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a new movie. Um, of course, there was the original movie, which is from 1931, Best Picture at the Academy Awards, based on a very famous book. And this film is based on the same book. It is directed by uh, Edvard Berger. It's a German film with subtitles. You're welcome. And it's currently streaming on Netflix. So it came to Netflix, I believe, October 28th. And uh, it's streaming there. As I said, it's directed by Edvard Berger. He also co-wrote the screenplay. It stars Felix Kammerer, Albert, Albrecht, Schuch, Daniel Bruhl, who you'll probably recognize when you see him. Terrific actor. Um, cinematographer James Friend. Hopefully we talk about him. And the movie runs 147 minutes. And it tells the story of, uh, you know, the book. If you've read the book or if you've seen the original or the um, the second film, which was like a TV film of uh, the guy from the Waltons, um, you know the story. It's about World War One and a bunch of German young men who are, you know, whipped up into a nationalist fervor and are really excited to go fight in the war. In fact, they sort of, one of them, um, Paul, he forges a document saying his parents will let him go fight so he goes and fights and then the fantasy of war hits the cold hard brutal reality of it particularly the brutal reality of that war and the western front of it which uh you know i think they they went back and forth about 500 yards that was about it and just millions upon millions of men died brutal 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 so this movie is a modern day version of that. And uh, it, it throws you right into it. So I am very curious. I have written a review about this, which Barry has not read. Um, and probably most of the world has not read. <laughs> and so I am very curious to hear what Barry Anderson, who's from Minnesota, what he has to say about All Quiet on the Western Front, the new Netflix movie. Um, Barry, 
What'd you think of this movie? Well, I'm going to give a little bit of background. Um, I was not a fan of school growing up. Did not. I did well, but I did not like it. Most of the books they gave us to read did not enjoy. However, All Quiet on the Western Front was one of the few that seemed to like, you know, resonate with me. And then that was before I'd really kind of moved my journey into classic films. So I saw the 1930 whatever version and it was, I haven't seen it since. So I kind of wanted to watch it before we podcast, but I've been so busy. I like, we'll just have to get into it. My memory will, will serve me probably poorly, but that, that movie was brilliant. Obviously much different movie that you can make in 1931 showing the brutalities of war than you can in 2022. Hence the new movie that can show a little bit more of the horrors of, you know, the war. And, you know, I saw it when it came out, you know, saw it was being advertised and promoted there. And I didn't realize that it was a a German film. Didn't mind um, the dubbing, you know, Netflix has done a pretty good job of making the foreign films accessible to American audiences. So it's definitely something that just because you hear it's German shouldn't just write it off because you're like, oh, I don't I don't like foreign films. It's not subtitled. You can watch it. Um, overall, the movie was worthwhile. There was a, it was uneven to me in parts. Um, especially I feel like the first half, I felt it was too long. I felt the first half didn't really get to the brutalities of war early enough. And then the second half was pretty dang brutal that I was having a hard time watching some of the scenes. I'm like, oh, please turn it off. And it was interesting because the narrative of, you know, kind of the theme of the book and the original movie is obviously kind of, you know, what, what do we gain from war? You know, it's like, what, what, you know, what is, what is, what is all this for? You know, the tragedy of, you know, young men lost and whatnot. And obviously like any great subject matter in humanity, it's not so simplistic. So, I mean, there's lots of places you can point fingers to bad generals, you know, nationalism, you know, whatever, whatever these different things that kind of create created the environment for world war one and what happened. And so I didn't mind that they were kind of exploring more particular angles of kind of, you know, it seemed more like kind of the, the main theme in the movie was kind of the, the generals who wanted to be glorious in war that were completely safe versus the the poor boys that are out there just getting brutalized. And that's true. But to me, I feel like in some ways it kind of undermined because it, it gave you kind of the bad guy to root against as opposed to, I, I think from what I remember in the book in the original movie, it was more of the pure tragedy like, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, it's just, no, nah, this just sucks for everyone. And I feel like this movie by making some of his choices took, took a, a little hit out of the heart and soul of the book um, and the original movie. Um, but we could talk more specifics about things I liked and didn't like um, from there, but that's kind of my high level, you know, take of the, of, of the piece. Yeah. You know, I really, really liked the movie. I it's, it's certainly flawed. There are parts of it. And I think we will agree considering what you just said about the parts that don't work for it. My biggest issue with it is when it does break the spell of the myopic world in the muck and the mire of the front lines. And it goes to um, the bureaucrats who are, you know, negotiating a ceasefire 
and even the general, although I found the general part to be more acceptable. Yeah. Just because it it plays up what re- what happens in every war, right? That that there are armchair generals who um, are sacrificing other people, like it's nothing. You know, it's like nickels and dimes to them. What do they care? So I I, I agree with you. I, I thought that was the weakest part of the film, and really hurt the film. But that said, I thought it was incredibly well done. I I think it's a really really well crafted film. I thought, you know, it, it does some things that are, that are, it uses some techniques that I usually don't like. Like, for instance, in the beginning of the film, first of all, the opening of the film, the way they set that up, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Oh my gosh. That, yeah. The, op- the opening scene was one of my favorites just with the, because again, I, we talked about this in other podcasts to me, when, a, when a filmmaker is really good at what they do, they come up with an, a way they want to enter. Then yep. they put it up in a way where they're like, the audience is going to think X. And so they're waiting for it. And then they're going to let them like, oh yeah, this is what we're going to see. They're going to see. And then it changes, but it doesn't change, you know, kind of the whole heart and soul or like the, the meaning of what you're going. And that whole scene of looking down and then kind of, you know, panning up and seeing, I mean, it was just, I was like, okay you got me yeah. like right away i'm like I'm, in, yeah. I'm into this movie let's do it let's do it let's go yeah and and like just the thesis that it sets up and that 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 whole sequence reinforces which is you know war is this brutal dehumanizing thing and it strips everyone of their humanity and it's just a machine it's a machine that just devours mankind and there's nothing you can do about it and that's what the opening is about and what i found interesting about that opening which i again i thought was really well done was it was accompanied by eventually in in sort of the opening you know first 10 15 minutes it was accompanied by um this the soundtrack which had modern music in it so it was this really grinding industrial guitar which would pop up as these young men are they've enlisted and they're like getting ready to go and they get the uniforms and then they're marching to the front and this guitar would jump in and i usually really dislike that when a period piece uses modern music i always think it breaks the spell but for this i thought oh wow that is very effective because it is this industrial meat grinder that these guys are walking into and they don't know, it, but the movie lets you know pretty quick that this hell is inevitable, right? It's that this is inevitable and there's nothing anybody can do to stop it. And these guys are just interchangeable meat for the meat machine, right? It's just like, get in there, get out. Okay, we need a new body, get it in there. It's just, and I thought that was very effective. And I also thought the rest of the film, I thought it was beautifully shot. I thought the, the, the fight sequences were really dynamic and really well choreographed and really well executed. I thought the cast did an excellent job. I thought the the, the kid who's the lead, uh, Felix Kammerer, he's terrific. And 
the movie is different than the book. It's different than the original film. You know, not too much, but enough that, you know, you'll be surprised and you are wondering what's going to happen. And uh, I just thought, man, it's incredible. And we can get into this discussion later, but uh, I'd love to hear you counter that stuff. But what strikes me about it is that I was thinking about this this morning. I'm like, geez, when's the last time uh, an anti-war war film was even made? Never mind sort of celebrated, you know? And, you know, like 1917 came out, whatever, three years ago. Um, that's not an anti-war film. Right. No, I, I, I would say something along the lines of probably uh, Three Kings or something like that in the early to mid 2000s is probably, you know, Three Kings came out in 99. Right. Okay. And yes, I agree with you. you know, maybe, that's, that's... maybe something like Jarhead. I mean, it was more anti, you know, it wasn't like specifically war. It was more kind of the, you know, right. Military conflict. Like yeah. Three Kings is really more sort of an anti-colonialism type thing. But you think about like films that were impactful. You think about Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, Born on the Fourth of July. You know, they're, they're Vietnam films made about 20 years after the Vietnam War started, a little more than 20. And about, you know, let's see, 86. So, you know, 12 years after the war, I guess, officially ended. And we've, we've not, you know, you think about like films we've had in, in this era about war they're few and far between and they're generally either subversively or overtly uh, pro-war you think about zero dark 30 about the war on terror that's basically the only movie about the war on terror you can be like oh yeah yeah that that's a movie and that's a pro-war pro-torture movie and of course the reason for that is that you know this should not come as a shock to anybody, but like Hollywood is basically the propaganda arm for, you know, the Pentagon. This is the Pentagon works closely with studios. They, they help with films that are about military stuff, but they get control of the script. Yeah. Right? And so you can't do that. And so it's interesting that like, we have to have a German movie about world war one to see an anti-war message, you know, it's like, Jesus but anyway, the point being is that I just thought this movie was incredibly well done and incredibly effective. And as I wrote in, the, in my piece about it, it's sort of morbidly ironic that this movie comes out when uh, all is not quiet on the Eastern front of Europe and that Americans in particular are vociferous in their support of that war and in their wanting to expand that war. And that's why I think a movie like this is important for people to see, besides it being really captivating. It's, as I said, it's flawed, but I just thought like, wow, this, this is no holds barred, man. It is rough, rough stuff in the second half of this movie, watching this shit. You're just like, holy cow. That scene in the crater with the French soldier. Uh, uh. I mean, <laughs> what? And I was watching that and I'm, of course, thinking like, okay, as an actor, you know, you know, this scene is coming, you know how to do it. It's like, okay, this is what we got to do. But then there's just all this sort of, they're shooting that in a crater with water, by the way. 
Yeah, they, they, the prevalence of water in this movie had to make shooting it oh. unbelievably difficult. Yes. And I'm just thinking, okay, the mechanics, how do you shoot this? And then as the actor, you're thinking like, okay, th- this in this little compact scene, uh, Felix Kammerer, the, the lead who plays Paul, he goes through this emotional roller coaster that is just like, unbelievable to watch and then the dude who's playing the french guy is like doesn't have a line (laughs) and he is amazing he is so good and so focused and it's just and i found all of the performances to be that way to be committed and subtle and not showy that they're they're very reserved and effective in the acting and and so i i really really love this movie and uh i will let you counter all of my positive points yeah, that, such a negative nelly there i differ on a few things first off i am very pro-war so this true. movie this movie bothered me because it was it was it, it was saying that all war is not good um uh sarcasm alert um the <laughs> in today's time we gotta be careful yeah. Um, but i will actually differ with you that i thought some of the performances of the main group of men felt like the weakest part of the movie like you know especially in the opening scenes when they're all kind of together and stuff like that they didn't do a good job of setting up kind of the personalities and kind of i just felt like sometimes i was like you know oh it's just a group of they almost made me feel like they were disposable and i feel like in this movie what you really needed is you needed that individuality and the connection immediately of like the world needs these people here as opposed to just like I'm out there to like do this and I got a girlfriend back home and you're like, you know, it. they made it too disposable in my opinion and not unique enough. It's not that the performances were outright bad. It's just, I feel like you needed more. I feel like when you watch some of the other great war movies, you really connect with the people. So then when, you know, the proverbial stuff hits the fan, you know, you're more invested in the, and in this case, partially because you know how brutal world war one was um, that obviously not many of them were going to make it, make it out once they uh, got busted right. the front line. But the, the, the overall, I, I go back and forth, you know, if I were to have made the movie because the early part of the movie, it's like they, they touched on the brutality, but it didn't seem, it didn't seem to like shell shock the actors the way that i think world war one would have i think like within it you know two or three days you know it would have turned you into being this you know patriotic like i'm gonna go do the war to like oh my god what have i done and am i gonna make it out alive and almost hollow and i felt like they kept the the soul of these characters too long i think they needed to be broken and then kind of rebuilt into like we just by all means have to survive this almost like it turns them into machines, which would have mirrored kind of that, you know, the whole warlike machine of just, we put things in and cogs go out and do their thing. So I I think that that was not one of the stronger aspects of the movie, but funny enough, as much as I've, you know, studied, read, you know, watched documentaries and stuff about the various wars, it never dawned on me till this movie. And I don't know why it felt so profound but in the opening of the movie, when they were taking the shoes and the coats and the pants yes. of the soldiers yes. and then sewing them up. And then you're like, oh, they had to repurpose. I mean, 
someone died and was rotting in that and they took it out and they 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 washed it patched up a few things and then they gave it as a new uniform and you're like that's crazy but you're like this is millions of people they can't just replace that like right. they have to do that but it never dawned on me that that's what they were doing and hence i was like oh man like that's i mean talk about grim i mean just everybody along that line of like okay gotta go out to the battlefield grab the rotting bodies pull the stuff send it to these women that are washing and staining this stuff then stuff comes in and make sure to take off all the tags and anything that makes it you know part of a person's and then let's make sure when these kids come that are super excited to fight for their country let's give them you know these things and i just there's something about that that is dehumanizing or maybe not dehumanizing but it's just there's like a soullessness to it of just the reality and that hit me a lot yeah Oh, but then I love that. That's that's the opening sequence I'm talking about. No, I, I know, but I but we we alluded like, to it, but people haven't seen it. I'm giving more context. I mean, it's it's it's, it's, it's an it's assembly people. line of just. You're right. It's an assembly line of dehumanizing. You know, the, the soulless machine is brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. I mean, and it and it's great. But with that being said, the part that um, I just lost my train of thought now. Because you went through the, we're gonna have to keep talking. It'll, it'll come back to me. I was gonna make another comment Sorry. on that, but it's gone. It's gone now. <laughs> it's all. It's gone. Everybody who's waiting for the good stuff, just whoop, right out the right out the yeah, left. There ear. it goes. There it goes. Um, I, I will just counter your your argument about the cast. I actually appreciated that. Uh, one thing I've always it always bugs me. I mean, I get why it happens in war movies, but like, you meet the platoon, and you know, there's the in American movies, there's like the Italian guy from Brooklyn. And then there's the, you know, the farm boy from Iowa. And they don't do this in this movie. Um, And I appreciated that. And I appreciated that the actors were not trying to play types. They were just being sort of a bunch of young guys who weren't fully formed yet. (laughs) You know, they're, they're not totally there. And then when they go off, you see them sort of be like, oh, shit. And then, you know, it's interesting the point you make about uh, Shell Shock. I agree that, like, Shell Shock does not really get addressed in, in this. And it was a big part of World War One. And if if I, I worked with a client years ago um, on a part that dealt with that. And there's, like, videos on YouTube of people from World War One suffering from Shell Shock it is really disturbing like what that does to people um just it's it's crazy to see but anyway i will say this felix camera the lead boy he mastered that like thousand yard stare thing i mean he was just like went into it all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and then all of a sudden he's just like holy shit he's just got that vacant stare and that's I really appreciated the director has a lot of shots where he just cuts to people just looking. They're okay. just sort of yep. you observing. Just, you just you know? reminded me of my complaint. Um, oh, here we go. The I think in this particular movie, I think there was a mistake made. I agree. He spent time on people's faces. But there was at least a half a dozen moments in the movie where it would have served the overall purpose and theme and what they wanted the audience to feel if they would not have cut back to a wide shot. 
There were moments where like, I wanted to see someone's reaction processing and going like, oh my gosh, this is different than what I thought because we need that connection with the characters. And when they go back to the wide, mm -hmm. it just kind of took you out of the mental acrobats that either the general had to do or the, you know, the soldiers had to, you know, come to terms with and stuff like that. And I just didn't understand. And I, this seems to be a new trend in a lot of modern movies where they build up to this big kind of emotional wrestling point. And instead of staying there for, you know, a few beats where the, the you know, we can watch what's going on inside someone's head and what they're trying to do. They, they set that up and you're like, yeah. And then they cut away and they're like, what were they thinking? And you're like, no, no, no. You got to stay in there so I could see what they're thinking. And then once I'm uncomfortable, then cut to the wide shot to give me a break where then it can kind of like, okay, you planted the seed, let it start growing. But when you pull out too soon to these wides, it's like you foregone planting the seed. It's like you kind of shortchange my brain locking in and they did it a half a dozen times or so. And I was just like, Ooh, if I was one thing, if I was given notes, if I was a studio head, there's those points. I'm like, we got, we got a motion here that we're just blowing right through. And I think that was a mistake. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would counter that a little bit and just say what I found very effective was that, um, because it's so well shot and those wide shots in particular are oh, beautiful. Some, some is they're gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, just gorgeous. And I think what that does is that it creates this sort of uh, this contrast between this beauty. And then when you go back in, it's just hellacious. And what is captured in this gorgeous frame is the, the closer you get to it is so unnerving. Um, and that's the, that's the oddity of course, of like that war or, or, you know, even Vietnam, the fact that like Vietnam is a tourist attraction, it's a beautiful country. Right. And you have like 19 year old American boys over there. You know, it's like the scene from a, a full metal jacket. It's like, Oh, I wanted to go to Vietnam, the jewel of, you know, Asia and kill people. <laughs> You know, it's like, see, this is beautiful. This is the French countryside and and it's gorgeous. And we'd all want to go there, except like these guys are, you know, lying in shit and mud and blood and doing hellacious things to each other. So I understood that, although I, I do take your point. Because the film, as I said earlier, the film also does it when it breaks away from that narrative and goes to the negotiations or to the general it really does break the spell. And I, and I think this story and this, the film and, and the story are better served by being super myopic and like, you know, um, like it, just, you, you can't escape it. And those reprieves sort of bring the momentum to a halt and, you know, that sense of claustrophobia, particularly in World War One, in the in the trenches and all of that, um, I think they could have done that more effectively by staying with it. Just stay like, there. I think that would have shortened the movie because I think the movie was too long. I think that would have solved both those problems. I agree. I and, agree. But, now, here's the reason why I think they did that. By the way, I think they did that because they wanted Daniel Bruhl to be in the movie, and they yes. he's too old. He's too old to be in the front lines. Although I think you could have used him there. He's a, he's a terrific actor, but like, he's a, he's a big German movie star and like, okay, we got him to do something. And the, again, the general thing I get because it's a, it's a, 
a direct line at least to the to the people fighting you're you're in the same general vicinity um but i felt like those scenes as well just weren't quite as effective i i i liked what they're trying to do i just i just don't think they work and it and it reminds me very much of um uh kubrick's world war one film um which i'm blanking on the name of right now Spartacus. Uh, no no not Spartacus. <laughs> 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 you sure you sure oh, i'm sure it's not spartacus okay. what the hell's the name of this movie it's one of my favorite movies um paths of glory that's it so it reminds me of paths of glory which by the way is this should shock no one one of the greatest uh war films ever made um since kubrick made it terrific movie but i so i thought that that i agree with you that like at least narratively jumping out from from those you know, metaphorical sort of close-ups uh, doesn't work. Although I do, I do disagree in terms of like going to a wide shot and then coming back and things like that. But I, think, I get what you're, yeah, I, I, I get I what think. you're saying. But like for me, the emotion and all that sort of stuff is already pounded out of these guys, right? That that's the thing. It's not it's not a, a massive emotion. You you get these very rare glimpses of that sort of thing because you're trying to survive. You, you don't have time yeah. to emote. Well, that's, that's why I think leaving it. So like, I'm not saying cut out the wides. I'm saying it just needed another beat or two in the uncomfortable, in the, the whirlings of the brain, then go to the wide, not, not a replacement of, because I know for a fact, and I don't remember, I think it's when they go to the farmer's house to steal the goose the first time when it's like a half frozen and there's like hanging fog. I mean, talk about like, I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, how long did they have to wait for the conditions to be right for that shot? It was unreal how when, beautiful it was. When they are walking across that field, yes. it's, it's like, oh my God, <laughs> it's crazy how beautiful that is. And that sequence, by the way, which could have been just throwaway nonsense, is really well done. It's very effective how they do that whole thing. And of course, the story comes back around to it. And the second time, which has even more profound consequences. There's something that happens, which had me, I was just like, God damn it. And this will be a spoiler for people. I have to get into it. So we're (laughs) going to go spoilers. So I recommend you see this movie. I think Barry's a little more lukewarm on it, Um, but I I recommend you see it. But in this second sequence, these two guys, uh, one is named uh, Katz and one is um, Paul, they have gone to this farm, this French farm, and they stole a goose once. They jumped the fence and they stole a goose and they got chased by the farmer who was shooting at them and they got away and they had a feast and it was great. And then they go back again and the war is basically over at this point. It's ending. It's going to be over in like a few hours and they go and they try and steal another goose. I thought they just went to go get eggs. Oh right, eggs. eggs. No, yeah. they went to. They were going to steal a goose, but they ended up getting eggs. Okay, they okay. Got. Yeah. So they get eggs and they run off, and then through happenstance, the the farmer's young son catches cats in the woods, and he's got a. The kid has a gun, and you don't see what happens, but you hear a gunshot. And then the lead, Paul, comes running. He's, well, what the hell's going on? And you just see cats, like, stumbling out of the woods. And what I was thinking the whole time was, 
what happened to that kid? Because they don't let you know what happened to that kid. And what I'm thinking happened to that kid is actually worse than what happened to cats. And it sums up the whole thing is that like war isn't just awful for what it does to people physically and mentally, but it's what war forces you to do to other people. My assumption is, is that kid got killed. That he shot cats, cats got close enough to him that he got a hold of him and killed him and then came running out of the woods. That, that's in my head. I don't know if that's really what happened. That's what I assumed. Well, it, it allows for the possibility because it follows up the crater scene where, right. you, you know, it's that. And I think that was the, it isn't like, isn't there like a famous, the like Christmas thing in World War One where they all, yeah. both sides um, agreed, let's just like take a night and like, yeah humanity came together and then the next day they went back i feel like that was the the crater was trying to be the tragic side of that story um which happened way more frequently than that one christmas eve where they all right. tried to sing right. uh, and not kill each other um yeah i guess i didn't give a thought i what i liked about the scene is that it was ambiguous when it happened because yeah. yeah. you're like oh i know what happened and he comes out you're like oh i don't think what happened then you're like oh and then you're like back like oh what did happen and then right. by that point, you're like screaming in the other direction. It doesn't allow you much time to kind of think through it. But you're like, it's that it's the proverbial for myself who likes a, a more black and white situation in life. I liked the fact that it's gray enough where you can understand why these men who are basically starving to death fighting will resort to going to steal some sort of food so that they can, you know, actually not be like starving to death but should they be stealing from other peasant type people who don't have right. food of themselves and so you know it you never take a step back and go okay well they're they may be just as bad off as i am you know you don't know how many people are in the family they're feeding with the one goose and the couple eggs and so it just shows that you know it becomes a selfish endeavor where everything is about i have to do this at co all costs regardless of what they are and that on the human condition is about as bad as it can get. Yeah. And I think the the tragic part about this movie is in the book, in the original movie, I came away with the profound kind of like, oh, there's got to be a better way. Like, you know, you're just like, how, like, we got, we got, we got to think better. And in this case, I didn't, because they went more into the kind of the, the breakdown of the psyche and the selfishness that war turns you into. It didn't give me, like, you kind of understood why they went back a second time, even though it was dumb. Um, but, like, there was never something where you just saw that they had lost part of their humanity as part of this. Like, they still felt like, okay, you know, it's going to be good. And you're like, no, no, it needed to be kind of that, like, almost like something like leaving Las Vegas where you're watching somebody drink himself to death. And you're like, if you just stop, like... We can get better. And I felt like I needed something more like this at the end of the movie that they should have changed the point where you were like, oh, like, did this really wreck them for life? Like the people who go back is this really doomed for them. And I did not feel that way. They they made it kind of the neat bow tie where, OK, you know, all the people that you care about, you can have the emotional sadness over the fact that they you know didn't make it out. But I would have loved to see one of them have to deal with everything that they did 
and now they got to go back and they can't right. undo yeah. what they did. And it's th- then it's not only do you have the tragedy of all the young men that died, but then you have the tragedy that pays it forward in real time. And I think they missed a big opportunity. If they're going to change it from the book, I think that would have been something that they should have leaned into. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that. You know, there's World War One is, uh, you know, it was the war to end all wars. But of course, as we know now, it was just the prequel. And they do make the the connection between World War One and World War Two, particularly in the um, negotiation scenes. You know, the the French are very stern and you know unforgiving, and the Germans are begging. You know, and of course we know that that leads to um, what comes after, which you know are a bunch of very humiliated, angry people. Uh, you know gearing up and the thing I thought about because I agree with you it would have been very interesting to see somebody try and you go from this crazy intense experience then you have to go back home yes you you just got to be a person yep and the thing I thought about at different points in the film was um you know Katz tells the story of uh you know he has a he, he had a son who they lost, you know, and, you know, then you think about, well, that's an interesting story that he'd bring that up. You know, obviously he's, he's suffered a lot and now his wife will have suffered twice as much. And then you think about like all the children who are at home and who will not have a father and the the sort of emptiness there and the, the anger there. And of course that generation of children, um, you know, less than 20 years later, are marching across Europe and opening death camps and just being like, yep, here you go. And it's like, oh, and I remember there's a, there's a great movie. I can't remember what year it's from. Let me look it up real quick. 2009 There's a German film called the white ribbon uh, by Michael. White ribbon. You said, yeah, the white ribbon. Uh, Michael Haneke directed it uh, and wrote it. Um, It's set in the same time period, the late, the late i think it's right before world war one um it was nominated for uh, a bunch of academy awards i don't think it won it but it's it's set in germany and it's about just that generation of kids in particular in a small german village and you see in how they behave and how they sort of interact with one another you see not just world war one but world war two coming yeah. And, and and what creates that it's one of the most brilliant films in explaining that it doesn't it's not like a judgment thing it's not this this sort of you know manichaean moral thing of like black and white it's just like oh oh okay this is where that comes from you know which is always the more interesting thing to me than like hey this is what they did it's more like well why did why did they do that correct um and so i thought about that in that scene with cats in the woods of the kid who plays the the farmer's son is quite good. He's a very small role. Yes, he was good. Quite good, but he has this look in his face when he catches up with cats. And he's just so angry and disgusted. And he is like, you see it. And you're like, ah, yep, there it is. That's how we got into this mess in the first place. And that's why we're going to get into the bigger mess in about 15 years right? Right. That's, Correct. that's what's gonna happen and so it's just really 
effective in that. And, and that's why I liked the film is that despite its flaws, and it does have flaws, which, which we talked about, despite its flaws, it, it really is thought provoking and emotionally unnerving. And that's as much as you can really ask from a movie right i mean that's if if a movie is giving you those two things that's pretty great you know i i so i really i recommend the film i i think it's it's submitted by germany to be the uh their um best international feature film at the academy awards we'll see if it gets nominated you know countries can they they submit a film and then those out of those films uh, from each country, you know, I think five get picked to be nominated and then one wins. And, you know, I've not seen a ton of foreign films this year um, for a variety of reasons. I can't imagine it wouldn't be nominated, particularly because it's so accessible for people to see. It's on Netflix, it's just sitting there. Right. And, you know, we talk about the problem with streaming services are everything's just about content yep you just want content so everything gets watered down it's you know most of it's just dog shit this is not that no right? even well, if you this... don't like this movie you go okay this is a thoughtful well-crafted movie i didn't dig it or whatever but like it's this is like a real movie and but that, that's the I... difference though with one of the most brilliant things netflix has done in the last few years is the fact that they've gone over, found the best films that Americans don't watch, found a way to dub it where it makes it accessible. So you're seeing some of the best work of these different countries, which is why you're having these hit series that people are watching and these movies that kind of come out of nowhere. You know, that's what they're, you know, curating right now. So this 100% was not just a dump to fill up, you know. Right, right. Yeah. That's why it is the way it is. But yeah, I totally, totally agree with you. Yeah, it's it's definitely not not a dump. Um, but yeah, so I, now would you recommend this movie to people? Yes, absolutely. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would recommend it too. It's I mean, I, the I, only thing I will let people know is because I, I, you know, a lot of people I don't think know how brutal world war one was. And I know, you know, people will talk about, you know, something like in saving private Ryan, the scene where the you know, guy was standing outside the door and they're having a knife fight yeah. and how uncomfortable yeah. it is. You're like, well, there are a lot of those scenes in this movie. Yeah, I just <laughs> buckle up, guys. <laughs> so so you might have to fast forward some, you might have to close your eyes a little bit, but that's that is the story of World War One. So is it pleasurable? No. The parts that aren't so brutal can be beautiful, can be thought provoking, but it is not like a popcorn movie for Friday night just to sit down and enjoy yourself. That it is no. not. No, and look, I'm I'm as as you know jaded uh, a film watcher as you'll ever meet and like it i was squirming in many scenes <laughs> many scenes i was like oh many my scenes. god damn and it's just whew, crazy crazy now you know and obviously you served in world war one and you know thank you for your service barry it was, it was actually just... it was actually in spartacus is when i served so <laughs> Well, that was just in your personal life. We know That's you true. like to dress up as a, as yes. a gladiator. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, when I reviewed this movie uh, this past week, um, I think it was this past week. It's all a blur. Um, as you know, I'm pretty harsh. Yes, you are. 
I gave it four out of five stars. Wow. It's yeah. basically the Academy Award for Best Picture of the Year. That's what you, everybody, that's what Mike just said. There's nothing better coming out this year. Well, it, I will say this. Uh, considering all the movies that we've done this year and we've seen this year, we, we have liked yeah. a handful. I This is the one that I was most impressed with in terms of like the filmmaking and and again it's a flawed movie i'm not like saying it's it's uh you know some some masterpiece but but it is it is a good movie yeah and and i'm trying to think of another movie i've seen this year that's as good as this and i can't think of one <laughs> so <laughs> now look i haven't seen everything there's a yeah. bunch of movies out in theaters now that i gotta go see this week um and that I have hopes for, which is never a good sign. That <laughs> yeah, that's usually usually a bad thing, right there. Yeah, I, whenever I'm hopeful that something's good, it's I usually leave the theater quite angry, and uh, that's that's what it's been lately. Um, yeah, so I, it's interesting, and we got a couple other movies we're gonna hopefully pot about this week. That uh, there's a bunch of stuff happening in November. Yeah. I feel a like lot we're, of getting, movies. we're getting some interesting, if not you know. They're not great movies. They're at least interesting. They're not just yeah. like, ugh. And that makes it fun. That makes doing what we do even more enjoyable when they're not just immediately like, yep, this is garbage. Nothing, yes. to, nothing to see here. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I just realized why Daniel Bruhl is in this movie and why that whole... He's the, he's a producer, yeah. Yeah. That works out. Yep. Good for him. Hey, Good. he's doing his thing. Doing, doing he's it. Terrific. He's a terrific actor. I really like him. I just don't think that works in this in this movie. But, you know, what do I know? Um, any other thoughts on this movie, Barry? No. I mean, like I said, I, I think that was a case a little bit of the how, you know, book lovers complain when people change the book to the yeah. movie. There's a little bit of like, I think they neutered it just a bit. But if you stand back and you're not familiar with it, I mean, this is this is a high level, well done movie that, you know, it's it. I mean, if you can't enjoy watching something like this, then you really are just looking for popcorn, you know, just numb your brain and go, which uh, I'm not saying that as a derogatory, but I mean, this, in terms of a craft of making a film, this is one of the better films you're going to see this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, the the cinematographer, whose name is James Friend, um, can't find much on him, right? His, yeah. he, I'm sure he just works in Germany. And so, yep. like, he can't really find out his credits and things like that but like holy cow man he beautiful he, yeah he just he he, he he composes a beautiful frame like those that shot and they do it a few times in the film that shot from the ground looking up through trees the trees oh just beautiful i mean it's like holy cow it's absolutely gorgeous and i in my review i wrote the term i used um for the cinematography it's not completely accurate but i think it conveys a sense of it is it's malikian it's like a malik film in in certain points and then those wide shots like we talked about that shot as they're going to the farm Ugh. i mean holy cow and then you think about how they shoot the battle scenes which are they're pretty intricate this is they this are. is not like you know basic uh combat this is this is serious stuff and and i mean this visually and this is saying quite a bit 1917 has nothing on this movie oh i totally agree totally agree. you know it, it's like it's really really fantastically shot and i don't know who this dude is this james friend but sign whoever you are out there making a movie sign this cat up 
because yeah. well, he's I mean, going to make your movie look really good. If he outshines Deacon in his Academy Award winning uh, tour <laughs> right. of course, you got some skills. You got some skills. I mean, it's crazy. And and just the other thing that, that they do in the, in the film, which I really love, and, and Malik actually did this in um, uh, The Thin Red Line, and uh, it, Kubrick did it in uh, to a sense in um, Full Metal Jacket, is they create this sense of a, a palpable feel the way they light it. So the earth, the way the ground looks in the trenches, you're watching it and you get a visceral reaction to it because you can remember from your own sense memory what that feels like, that sort of dirt feels like in your hands. Yep. Because it's so well lit and it has such a texture to it. And the same thing with the uniforms and with like the helmets and yep. stuff. And if you watch uh, Thin Red Line in particular, Malik is so good at that, of creating a visceral sense in the viewer of what it feels like a tactile feeling yeah. of all those things. And it's so rare that cinematographers and directors are able to do that, but that they even think about it because most of the time, of course, they're visual. It's just right. like, yep. But, and, and, and you see that with, with Malik films in particular and certain actors and actresses like Kate Blanchett is quite good at that. Um, Brando was always great at that at that sort of thing philip seymour hoffman um so it's really cool and, it, and it's in this movie and yeah so i i i i like this movie more than you did but i know you liked it but i liked it more and and that makes me a better person i think um, <laughs> so we started with me being better and uh you just usurped it after this so everybody you just saw right. mike uh, right. climb the mountain here today well what we had this podcast just had a narrative arc to it yeah we started exactly. in one place and mm -hmm. our characters grew and changed and we came to the final conclusion we understand now um and plus the other reason i think you didn't like as much as i am is that you love war and yeah and it's true you, yeah we, we established that at the top of the top of the yeah show. and you know whether it's spartacus um or world war one or whatever man you're just into it uh all right so I think this concludes our podcast, yeah. Barry. Yeah, I think both of us say go see it. So it's yeah, uh, on Netflix. And, and you don't have to go anywhere. I know. You can just sit at home and see Correct. it. Correct. It's great. I hope you have a big TV. Um, yeah, so All Quiet on the Western Front, Netflix, it's there. Go watch it. It's German. Um, it, it, it won't bother you. It, it's beautiful to look at. It's moving. It's uh, horrifying. It's all of those things. And I recommend it. Barry recommends I recommend it more than Barry. And uh, that's it. So thanks for tuning in to Look in California Field, Minnesota. We'll see you next time at the movies. <laughs>